This was a boat where you worked your way across. Like you, you earned your passage across the Atlantic by working to keep the ship going. So that was how they, because these people could not afford on their own um, to just buy a ticket. And so they're working their way on this, on this boat. And when they weren't at work or doing their job on the boat, they were allowed to just go and have fun and enjoy the amenities like a cruise ship would or, or whatever. But there was this one dude on the boat, and he kept saying, hey, guys, um, th- there are these things over here, and there are these lifeboats, and nobody on this boat knows how to use them. Maybe we ought to spend a little bit of time like learning to use the lifeboat. And everybody's like, well, we don't need to worry about that. As long as we do our job, as long as we keep fulfilling our role, as long as we keep working hard when we're supposed to work and playing hard when we're supposed to play, not, nothing's bad's going to happen to us anyway. Well, you can imagine what ends up happening to these people. right? The boat blows a hole in, the, in it and starts to fill up with water. And all of these people run to this one guy who's been warning them this whole time that they ought to probably figure out how they would be saved if things went south. And they say to him, what do we need to do to be saved? Now, obviously, you can probably figure out what the analogy is, right? This planet is that boat. We are just racing through space at some crazy miles per hour, all ordained by God, most of humanity through most of history, oblivious to the damage that is to come. Just so busy in working for our own selves or working to help care for, even working to help care for others, and so consumed in our own um, entertainment that we don't stop to ask the question, what do I need to do to be saved? It is the distraction of the enemy. Like it is his number one way of distra- is just keep the world, frankly, even keep Christians so busy that we never stop to ask. Because we might like, like we would love it. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? Like how many times that somebody in your life has ever, even as you're trying to engage in the mission and talk to people about Jesus, how many people have ever actually walked up to you and gone, hey, I've kind of wondered what do I need to do to be saved? You know, I hang out at coffee shops just so I can engage with unbelievers. I have yet to have one of them ask me that question. But let me ask you, ask a question. How often do we ask, when's the last time you asked, what did I do to be saved? Like, what did it take to be saved? I don't, I don't think we even think about that enough as followers of Christ. And that's what today's passage is going to bring us to as we're back in the series. We took our break last week from um, for our to celebrate our 11th anniversary. But we're in this series, righteousness revealed, and we're finally after seven weeks. We're, we're well. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be in chapter four and of Romans. And which, if you don't know, like that's a slow pace for us at Cross Train. Like that, like we usually do about a chapter a week. And so, um, but it's been but it's been really good and really rich. And 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 probably we'll probably slow down as we go, not go faster. So that's just be ready for that. But imagine, um, but but we're finally getting to this place where we're going from what we were calling the rejection of righteousness, which is what Paul talks about from Romans one one all the way through the middle of chapter 3, and he is now going to turn the corner in the middle of what we call chapter 3 and start talking about, okay, so how, how is God's righteousness imputed or applied to us? And that's what he's going to spend some time talking about between chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, and that's what we're going to spend our next few weeks talking about. 
So today's message is actually entitled, Have You Received His Righteousness? Have you received his righteousness? Now, now let's, let's back up a step and remember where we started. I spent a few weeks, a couple weeks on this at the start of the um, series. Um, Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's sort of the, the, the theme of this great thesis. It's the thesis statement of Paul's great work in Romans. That, he, that, that was sort of his life's thesis. And, and what he says in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17 is, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, what? The righteousness of God is revealed. Bringing salvation to all who believe, right? He says, from faith for faith. For it is written, the one who has been made Faithful, like righteous by faith, has, has become righteous, has, made, has become like the right standing with God by having faith in God is saved. Now what he's doing for the rest of this letter and what he was doing for the weeks that led up to this week and what he's going to show us today is, okay, so what is that? So that, that righteousness was rejected by people. Now how is it applied to those who are saved? If, it's, if it is the salvation of God, that is his righteousness, then how is that applied to you and I? And that's what we're going to look at today. So today's question is actually also your first talking points. And your talking points are on the back of your, um, of your training truth sheet that has the outline for the message on the back. The first talking points is, what does it take to receive his righteousness? So I'm asking, we're an interactive church here, or try to be as much as time allows. What does it take to receive God's righteousness. Belief, believe in Jesus, repent, power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing you did wrong, acknowledging sin, knowing your need. This is what all, I love that, I want, I just love how like biblically informed you guys are as a people. Um, but this is what we're, this is what this passage is actually going to show us all of these things. But, but part of why I wanted to start with this question isn't just because it's the title of today's message, but it's because, because isn't it interesting how quickly we default? When, when, if, if you were to say, what does it take to receive God's righteousness? The, isn't it interesting how quickly our, our instinct, even as Christians, is to think of us first? What do I need to do? Right, it's it's like it's it's a great way to think about this. If, if somebody says to you, "So how? So what? Did, so so how were you saved? How did you come to faith in Christ?" And and we, and our instinct is to go, "Well, I." It just it just is our instinct. But the reality is, He. Right, the reality is, God is always previous. Now, it doesn't absolve us of repentance and belief and believing in the promises of Jesus. That's our role, and we'll see that in this passage. But it's, we also want to come to this going, guys, like our propensity is to interject ourselves into the gospel message way earlier and more often than we ought to. Our propensity is to interject ourselves into the gospel message way earlier and more often than we ought to. The gospel message is Christ saves sinners. That's the message, right? Now, what's our role in that? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
So we're going to look at that as we, look through, as we go through this passage. And what Paul's going to show us is, so how do we receive the righteousness of God? Here's what, we're, what he's going to show us. He's going to show us that his righteousness applied to us is the fulfillment of the promise of Scripture. The, the single promise of Scripture. And all of that is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let's pick it up in our first point. When Paul, he's talking about his righteousness. So in, in Romans 3.21, he says, but now. But now is another, is, is another one of those things that you, when you read something like that, you ought to go, okay, wait a minute. Why does he start with something like but now? Remember we talked like therefore, therefore we, we want to go, okay, why is the, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, but now, I don't have a, a, a clever little thing for it, but that, that's one of those things where we ought to go, okay, but now he's making some connection to what he just said. Therefore is, like when he says therefore, so therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. He is saying, therefore, in light of what I just wrote in Romans 5, 6, and 7, here's Romans 8.1. But now, he's saying, but now, in light of what I just said, how is, it, how is what I'm saying now different? Not connected to, not, not like pulling it forward, but how is it showing a, a difference? And so let's look at the last thing he just said. In verse 20, he says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. And, and, and Jeff did a great job of teaching through that um, a couple weeks ago and what that word dikaio, um, dikaio means. right? And so, so he says, for, for the works of the law, no being will be justified, be, be made right by God in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. He's saying, guys, it's not the law. Now look at what he says. But now, he's like, so, so what, what, you, what you used to think was this, doing good things is what got you saved, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He's saying you used to think you had to get righteous, get right, by doing. He's saying, but now it's just made, been made manifest apart from that, apart from the rules. How has it been made right? Well, the answer is, is first of all, the, the, the righteousness of God we're talking about. Remember, it had, it, and this goes back a few weeks, so you, maybe you don't remember. The righteousness of God is two different, it's, it's looked at in two different connected ways. So not two opposing ways, two connected ways. One, God is righteous. It's part of his character. But the other is the righteousness, his saving work is his righteousness. His, his desire to even save a bunch of rebels is part of his righteousness. So what Paul is saying is, but now God's heart to save you is revealed and it's revealed apart from the law. He's saying it's, it's not even this. And, and the word there for manifested actually means to be clearly revealed. So it's not like the word apocalypto where in revelation, that's where the word revelation, it's not that kind of reveal. That, that is like an unveiling, like a, like a misty unveiling. This is to be clearly made known. So what he's saying is that, guys, our righteousness, the, the, how God makes us righteous has now been clearly made known, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So he's saying, guys, it's been alluded to throughout Scripture. And we're going to see that hugely next week when we get to chapter 4. That's why chapter 4 is in Romans. He's like, let me show you how it's been alluded to throughout Scripture. But for today, we're going to keep going. He says, the, the, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 
It's interesting, there's a little, there's, he, there's a little word play going on there because, because the word where, where he says, so in verse 22, the righteous of God through faith, that's the word pistis, it's the word that's, that's translated either faith or belief. And then he says, in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. Guess what that word is? Pistuo. It's, just a, it's the verb form of the same word. So he's saying, for, so, he say, so here you could read it this way. The righteous of God through those believing in Jesus Christ for all who believe in Jesus Christ. He's saying it's the righteous of God for those who have faith in Jesus Christ for all who have been given faith by Jesus Christ. So ultimately what he's trying to convey to us right now is he's trying to say, guys, that, that the righteousness of God is revealed when you believe that God has given you the ability to believe. When you believe that God has given you the ability to believe, you are on the path to receiving the righteousness of God. That's ultimately what he's saying there in those verses. By the way, I, I forgot to mention there was a quote. Go, go to that, um, just this um, 19th century pa- pastor. He, he actually has his radio. He was one of the first people to ever be on radio. It was in the, late, uh, the early 1900s. His radio ministry still goes on today. Here's what he says about these three ver- the first three verses we're looking at today. He says, I am convinced today, after these many years of Bible study, that the verses, that these verses, these three verses, Romans 21, 22, and 23, are the most important in the Bible. These verses are certainly the turning point in Romans and they could be the turning point for each of us too. Now, now I, all scripture is inspired by God. And we want to be careful not to say there are some parts that are more important than others. So I understand that. But guys, understand what he's saying. He's saying the, the concept being displayed in these three verses is critical to turning your life to Christ. And so in verse 22, when he says, or verse 22, when he says that it is through the righteousness of God through faith... Through, through this idea of believing, because God has given you the gift to believe, you will be saved. And then he goes on and he says, and this is probably the, one of the best known verses in all of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember, so you remember, so sin is just this idea, like you often hear it called, like described as missing the mark. It was this idea, like it's the same word, um, um, that, that conveys what they, they would, like for archers that miss the bullseye. Now, that isn't why Paul uses the word here. That's why they use the word in archery. It's hamartion. It's the word for sin. It's where in our, in our training center, we've been, we, last week we, we had the joy of talking about hamartiology, how sin entered the world, right? It's just this idea of, he's saying, but all have hamartioned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, here's, here's what's, in, what's interesting about that very well-known passage. It's written in, in what is called, I wrote it down because it's such a rare thing. It's written in what's called the constative, constative, like constant, aorist tense of the verb. It's, it's a rarely used thing in, in Greek, in, in biblical Greek. But here's what all that, here's what that means. It, it, he isn't saying you did sin. He didn't even say you are sinning. He didn't even say you will be sinning. The way, he wrote it the way he said, he's saying there has never been a time when you have never not been sinning. Like, like you've all, like, it's, it's outside of time, you're a sinner. Like, that's the bottom line. Past, present, future, all the time, anywhere, all, all over, that's just who we are. And, and will be 
apart from the thing he's going to say next. So he's making, he's some, here's, here's Romans 3.23 is the summary of, cha, is, a, is a one, not even sentence, summary of chapters one through three. He is, he, what has he been taught, what has he been, what has Paul been telling us for seven weeks now? We're all a bunch of sinners, all of us, the whole world, all of sin and fall short of, all of us have never been without sin is what he's saying in, the, in that verse. But then we have to go on to the next point, which we will right after we talk about our second talking points question. So the second talking points question is, what, what is our part in receiving the righteousness of God? What does it take for us to do our part? And what keeps us from doing our part? So it's a three-part question. So let's take them each part at a time. And again, they're, they're probably on the screen and they're also on your handout. So what, what does it take for us to do our part in receiving? And some of you already shouted it out earlier. So what, what is our part in receiving his righteousness? Our, specifically now, our part. Believe. We have to believe in something. What else? Repentance. Right? The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. So our part is repent and believe. The second question, the second thing is, what does it take for us to do our part? What does it take to do our part? God has to, God God is always previous. He has to open up the spiritual eyes of our heart to something. What is the something he opens our eyes to? Before we even get to grace and thankfulness, what is he opening our eyes to? Our, our sin, our sense of need. I heard somebody say, like, we have, to rec- like, we have to recognize our need. That's what repentance is. Right, like, so, so we can't repent unless we recognize that we have something to repent from. And the thing we're repenting from is, I mean, we can repent and like from, from individual sins and, and that ongoing repentance, like 1 John um, and confession of sin, like 1 John 1, 9. But the thing we're repenting from is this overwhelming desire to be our own God. We need to turn from self, but that's not all. What, what, else, what, what also comes with Repentance. Is, is, that, is, is if all I say is, Doug, you're a sinner, and I need to stop being such a, I need, I need to stop being such an self-idol worshiper. Have I really repented? Because what does it take to be repentant? To turn towards, right? Like not just not just even physically turn towards, but it actually conveys the idea of moving towards. So repentance is turning away from and moving towards God. That is an act of the Holy Spirit, like Jan said earlier. That that is how God stirs our hearts. So we have to, but but we won't do that unless we recognize our need, turn to God, and then believe that he is the one that gave us the faith to believe. Right? That's the key. He's saying, guys, so not only do you, do you, He's going he's gonna to reveal to you through the Holy Spirit the conviction of sin that you need help. And then he's going to give you the power to actually walk towards Christ. right? Because he's the one who brought you to life to do the walking. And, and that is the mystery of salvation that we're going to be talking about in the training center for a couple of weeks. Because the order of that and how all that works is, is somewhat of a mystery. Other than to say God is always first. right? God is always previous. Okay, so the last part of the question was, 
um, how, I'm sorry, the last part of the question is, what keeps us from doing that? What keeps us from acknowledging our need and turning to Christ? Pride. That's the, that's the kind of, um, C.S. Lewis says that that's the overarching sin of all sins. Right? It is the, I love how he says it in, in, in Mere Christianity. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. Right? So that pride, but that leads to things like what? Like what are some other things that, that keep us from doing that? That keep people from doing that? Self-sufficiency. I don't really need it. I don't really need God. What else? Okay, not wanting to admit that they need him. What does it take? So, so, so we focus on the repentance part, as we meaning as Christians, we focus on this idea of walking towards God. What does it take to walk away from something? A will to what? You got to let go, right? You got to let go of what you want. Right? I mean, you, you guys, I think if you engage with very many unbelievers, part of like they're like, okay, even if I'm sort of believing what you're telling me, I'm going to wait to have that conversation with God because I'm not ready to let go of what I want to do right now. Right? And, and, and that is just a clear indication that the Holy Spirit is not yet working on them. Right? And so that, you just got to keep praying for them. So some of the things that we could do to, to get better at this whole idea of, of talking points number two is um, help, how do we help people like see the need for God's righteousness? I think a couple things. One, we need to do a better job of talking about the glory of God. Right? For, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And, and we need to spend more time talking about the glory and the goodness. Guys, part of what made, like, like when I got up here and I, and I had not planned to come up here during our prayer time, um, but part of what, like, to, at least in my own heart, whether you all were feeling it or not, I know more than, more than just me were, just from the response we got, but I got, but um, was, was this idea that, like, what, what pierced the darkness, because I was feeling that heaviness from the minute I walked in the room that Scott was talking about and that some of you prayed for. And, and what turned the corner for me was when my brain started focusing on him. Right? I, I was fighting, God, for, you know, forgive me for these sins from, uh, from the weekend and forgive me for this and, and, and stop me from being distracted about that. And, and it wasn't until all of that went away and I just focused on the beauty and the glory of what was happening in the room that I was just like, Oh my goodness, all the rest of that stuff just wasn't even, didn't even matter anymore. It wasn't even, it didn't exist anymore. The kids making noise weren't, I didn't notice it anymore. I didn't, whatever it was, it was just like, because when we're focused on the glory of God, everything else gets diminished. And that's, that ought, we need to do a better job of sharing that, that with other people that way. Right? We tend, like, like guys, now, the, the, the part of why we don't, part of why we're afraid to do that is because we focus too much, or we're afraid of diminishing sin. Right? We don't want to skip. I mean, Paul spent three chapters talking about sin. We don't want to skip the sin and just go right to the glory. Hey, man, you want to follow Jesus because he's glorious and beautiful. But at the same time, we want to show Jesus as glorious and beautiful because that's what he will use to attract people to him. And so, to me, I, I think that, that we need to recognize our own struggles that we are all plagued by are part of and participate in sin. All of us. 
And as we're engaging with people, we need them to know that we know that we, not just they, are plagued by, are part of, and participate in sin. But then we need to quickly turn the corner and go, but God, rich in mercy, is so much more beautiful than anything you could ask or imagine. And start pointing people towards him. And that's ultimately, look at what Paul does next. So look at our next point. So his righteousness applied to us. Look at verse 24. So he says, all sin and fall short of the glory of God, verse 23, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Man, there's so many words there that are so important. Justified, again, Jeff taught on that a couple weeks ago, but justified is a word that actually, it's um, dikaio, it means it's a legal standing. It's, it's being transferred, like it's being, it's being made, um, set free. It's like God sending you a letter saying, free. You are justified, right? Like you've have, you have been brought into a right relationship, a legal standing, and nothing can make it unright. But then I love what he says here. By grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's so funny because that word grace there is, um, so charis is the, is the Greek word for grace, right? But the way it's written here is grace as a gift. It's actually, it's, it's, like, it's like Paul saying that God graciously gifted you for free. Like if you were to literally translate those few, those few words, he would say that, it, it would say something like that you have been made right by God, justified, because he, gra- he chose to graciously gift you for free. Like, like it costs you nothing. There's, nothing, there's nothing expected back through the redemption that is in Christ. So it costs somebody something, it cost God a lot. So, so it, that, here's another stumbling block for us is how do we receive Christ's righteousness? It, for, for a lot of people, for me, for a long time as, a, as, an, agno, as an atheist and then as an agnostic, and then even I would say as a Christ, um, like someone that was interested in, in Christ, I was starting to read books about him and read my Bible and stuff. Part of what, it was like, it just seemed too easy. I'm like, wait a second, that doesn't seem right. Honestly, God, now that I know that, I'm, that I really am so broken and so full of just, blech, like, it doesn't seem fair that you would just forgive all of that and I don't have to do anything? How can a just judge just reward a rebel? I'm a rebel. You're a rebel. We just are, all of us. Are rebels. How can a God who is just, just reward us? Oh, well, Paul tells us the answer, and here it is. In verse 25, so this, he's graced us, he's graciously graced us with a free gift because here's what it cost. Through Jesus, the redemption of Jesus Christ, whom God put forward, put, remember, it was, it was his good pleasure to crush him, Isaiah says. It was the Father's good pleasure to crush his son as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Guys, that is how a just judge can just forgive and reward a rebel like you and like me. Because the wrath of God is going to be applied. I mean, it's right. The whole first three chapters are all clear. Of Romans are very clear. We are children of wrath. That's what Paul says. He uses that for we are children of wrath. He talks about it in Ephesians. We are children of wrath. That wrath, that righteous judgment of God has to be applied. And it will either be applied on the person 
or it will be applied on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting about that word propitiation here. And, and not just here, but in the... So what does the word propitiation mean? It, it generally means the place of appeasement. It means to... Or not the place of appeasement. It generally means to appease the wrath of something. It's a word that's used throughout like Near Eastern ancient literature. It was this idea. So propitiation was this idea of appeasing the wrath of God. It's why they would throw people in volcanoes, right, on islands. It's because they, they were trying to appease the wrath of their God and stop the volcano from blowing up the island. That's generally how it's meant. It's generally meant to appease the wrath of a deity. Here's what's interesting about it, about it in Scripture. It is meant that way in Scripture as well. It is to appease God's wrath, but it also conveys the place of appeasement. So in, in, in general religious terms, it was this idea of we're going to throw this person in the volcano and we're just going to hope the gods are pleased. In the Bible, it is actually the place of judgment and the person of judgment. Here's how I know that. Because over 20 times in the Old Testament, that word is used in the, um, in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the, Old, of, the, of the Hebrew Old Testament. Over 20 times, the word propitiation is used. You know, where it's, you know where it's used for? The mercy seat of Christ that's on the ark, or the mercy seat of God that's on the Ark of the Covenant. So on the Ark of the Covenant, there were these two cherubim that came up. And that place in the middle was called the mercy seat. It was also called the seat of atonement. And it was the place where God and Moses would talk face to face. After Moses dies, it's where the, whole, where, the, where the high priest once a year would go in and make atonement because it's where God would speak his judgment over his people. And then they would, they would slaughter a lamb and they would sprinkle the blood on that seat of atonement, that place of propitiation. And God would, that would, that would appease his judgment. So, so understand, the reason any of this matters is Christ is not only the sacrifice. Like he's not only the person that was sacrificed, the God-man that was sacrificed. He is the place where the appeasement happens. That, that, place, that, that place of atonement, that judgment seat, becomes a seat of mercy when the blood covers it. That's what happened at the cross. So when Paul says he, he was put forward as propitiation, he was put forward to appease God's wrath but he was also put forward as the place where God's wrath would dwell and then be forgiven. Just like it was over and over and over again in the Old Testament, which was, which was all just a picture of this moment Paul's talking about. Does that, does that make any sense at all? Like It's so important for us to understand that, that God is, that, that he is not only the person, but he is the place where God's wrath happens, right? Like, like, and that makes all the difference. In 1 John 4, Paul, Paul, or John says um, that this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son a propitiation, a place to appease his wrath for us. Because that wrath is either going to get placed on him or on us, right? Because it has to be. So, last, last thing. So, so, the question we're looking at today is, what does it take to receive God's, uh, God's righteousness? One, his righteousness applied to us, our last point is, is the fulfillment of the promise. It is the fulfillment of the promise. Look at what he says in, 
in verse, I'm going to start in verse 26. He says, it is, he says so all this happens, this propitiation, is, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier. So he might be the one who is just and the one who makes the justification possible by, by, by going to that place himself. So he is just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. There's a um, Tim Keller quote that I so appreciated. I don't know if I can find it now. Oh, it says this. God's, God demonstrates through Jesus' death that his hatred of man's evil is as real as his forgiveness of man's sin. God did not spare his son one iota of the wrath we deserve. The only way God could save us consistent with his own justice was the way he did, and it cost him everything. So he is the propitiation, the just, and the justifier because that's always been the promise in, that's, where Paul, that's through the prophets, the law, and the prophets. So let's keep going. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He's saying it's not about what you do. Or is God the God of Jews only? I'm sorry, I skipped verse 27. Let me, let me go back and read verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. He's saying, he's saying we have no reason to boast. But why do we have no reason to boast? Because of the law? Because of the law, like, because of, the law of works? No, but because of the law of faith. He's saying works is us, faith is God. Ultimately, verse, the end of verse 27, he's, like, he's saying, guys, if, if we believe that we're justified by, by, the, by works, that means we think we do it. If we believe we're justified by faith alone, then we believe it's of God. And then he goes on to say, so we are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not also the God of Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. And remember, he's been making this case throughout the first part of Romans. Since God is one, we will, who will justify the circumcised, that's the Jews, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that's everybody else, through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by, his, by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Guys, here's, here's the last thing he says, and we're going to land this plane with this and um, have the music team come up for our time of... Um, response here's what he says we uphold when he says we uphold the law he's ultimately saying we are the we it's not we don't make the law right he's not saying like we hold it up he's saying we are living proof of its validation he's saying all of the old testament from genesis all the way through malachi was pointing forward to this moment where christ was going to be the propitiation the place and person of appeasement of sin for anyone who would believe. And he says, and the fact that we believe is living proof of that. The fact that we're here today on a, in a crazy world with everything. I mean, there's so many things you could be doing right now. And that you're here is living proof of the gospel's work in your life. Because there's not really an earthly reason to be here. So, do you remember um, this summer we did the five solas? Sola, I hope one person remembers. So, so I, 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 I'm not sure why the music, as the music team is coming up, uh, <laughs> I think they're asleep too. Um, 
as the music team is coming up, guys, I just want to remind you, because, because ultimately, the, this whole conversation today has been about two things. Are we going to believe that we can, like, how is, the, how is the righteousness of God applied to our lives? How do we get God's righteousness? That's our question. There's only two ways. We either work for it, or we just accept the fact that God did all the work. That's what Martin Luther died for. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what the reformers died for. Like, that's what they, 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 were, they were trying to move Christianity out of this works-based religion to a place of grace. So it was sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, sola scriptura, sola gloria. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. He said the only way this works this relationship with us and God is if we believe that faith works. So the question we have to ask, guys, is do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ? Because we are on this planet that is flying through the universe only in control because God makes it so. And someday, it will come to an end. And probably before that day comes, you will. So what's going to happen? Like, what's going to happen to you? When that day comes, what's going to happen? And maybe it's, for the first time, or maybe it's just for the first time in a long time, you're ready to say, man, I have been trying to do this myself for too long. And not only can't you, here's the beauty of the gospel, guys. Here's the beauty of what we just read. None of us needs to. Not for salvation or sanctification. All we need to be saved and live in godliness is found in the person and work of Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for... Um, I thank you for the, for the truth that through propitiation of sin, was accomplished in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That the only way a just, righteous God could just reward a bunch of rebels is if you did what you, only you could do. If you stepped into that space and time, if you stepped into that moment and you said, I will be the appeasement of the wrath your rebellion deserves. So Lord, whether it be to those who have yet to bow the knee to Jesus that are hearing my voice right now, whether they're in the room or online, or even for us that are, that are going to walk out of here and, and try to live more righteously, try to be more holy in our own strength, Try to fulfill the law 
because we somehow believe it's going to bring us some reward. Lord, let us just remember that there's no need. That it is your gracious gift given freely that you offer to any who might you say come to all who thirst you say come to all who are weary you say come so as we respond to the truth and the beauty of who you are now Lord I pray that our hearts would just come in Jesus' name.